don't know this, then you're behind the times. The only metric that matters is convenience. Rules apply to you. Suddenly you're an advertiser. This is Social Minds, the UK's first dedicated social media marketing podcast brought to you by Social Chain. I'm Theo. And I'm Eve. And each week we'll be joined by a host of progressive minds to learn the unique and innovative ways that social media is being used around the world. On this podcast, we'll be discussing the latest developments across social and what they mean for us all. And if you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe to get new episodes every week. This week on Social Minds. Facebook's in a bit of a transparency, like paradox, like we're asking them to show us everything, but at the same time, we're asking them to be more secure. We sat down for another monthly roundup covering all the latest stories in social media from February. Yes, the copywriters took over once again for this episode of Social Minds. So we spoke all about what's going on with the platforms and what has been happening through February. From the government's scathing report into Facebook to YouTube's legislation changes and Twitter and LinkedIn also feature in there. Your brand as a professional person, as we're seeing with a lot of sort of high achieving Gen Z and millennials, is LinkedIn. All this and more coming up. Eve, we're back. Hi. Fabulous. Um, I, we've got loads to discuss today, but I want to kick off with one of the big stories, which is the merger of Facebook's family of messaging apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what a lot of people uh, see, and they've sort of been reading it on face value, thinking that the three apps are going to become one app. Um, it's not the case. They're, they're going to stay as they are. The only difference is it changes who you can reach in your network. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the three apps reach- being... Instagram Direct, Messenger, and WhatsApp. WhatsApp. Yeah. Um, So you'll now be able to reach anyone within that ecosystem. For example, I have all three, but say my mum only has WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. So if I was using Messenger predominantly, the theory is that I would be able to send her a message and she would receive it on her WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, like I said, it's not coming out till 2020. Mm, so the mm. kinks haven't been worked out yet. Um, it's unclear right now what would happen, say, if my mum wanted to reply to me, which app would it come through? Mm, um, mm. And there's also the case of WhatsApp's encryption. So it's the only one that has end-to-end encryption at the moment. Mm, mm. Um, so a lot of people are very worried that either WhatsApp will no longer be encrypted or Messenger and Instagram Direct will also become encrypted. Um, and that's what Zuckerberg said that he wants to do, but it's a huge, huge task. Yeah, um, and what what um, confuses me a little is, so the reason that WhatsApp has been so difficult for Facebook to monetize is because of its encryption. Mm, um, mm. So when something's encrypted, obviously it makes it a lot more secure um, and it makes it very, very difficult for them to put in things like uh, chatbots and like gamified experiences, which they're really big on in Messenger. Mm. Um, and you think they'd want more of. Of um, course, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I wonder from a wide, wider standpoint what it sort of means. We've seen this... Uh, reliance of Mark Zuckerberg and it was one of the reasons that the Instagram co-founders left I think and that they handed in their resignation because they said Facebook is becoming too reliant on our apps and it seems like you made a good point that you know now that WhatsApp's co-founders are out of the way now that the Instagram founders are out of the way Mark Mark Zuckerberg is sort of free to do what he wants Mm. and he's kind of like you know by bringing these messaging apps to make one sort of super app yeah I mean you like obviously we've only got the news now but you can imagine it was you know talks were happening way long before that Mm. and it does sort Mm. of hint 
relevant to why WhatsApp's co-founders uh, both left the company, mm. why Instagram's co-founders left the company, um, because they thought they had no control over the future direction of their platform. Mm. Um, mm. And a lot of WhatsApp employees, original employees, are still working at Facebook, um, and they've been reportedly very unhappy about mm. plans to merge them all, because obviously they're very productive over yes, their own course, services, and they want to know how it's going to change. Uh, and they're all intrinsically unique in a way, aren't they? Of course, well? yeah. I'm I'm really really interested by this because me who I you know I use WhatsApp every day um I don't use Messenger I'll be honest and I seldom use Instagram Direct so I don't know if being exposed to contacts on those platforms and sort of using them more will you know is maybe that's the long game that mm. you know people will eventually start using Instagram Direct and they'll eventually use Messenger as well yeah for sure I don't know how you feel because you're one of those people who sort of actively chosen not to be on Facebook and Instagram mm, and stuff mm. and a lot of people are like that people use WhatsApp because they see it as separate even though it's owned by Facebook mm. it's always been viewed as quite separate and a lot of people feel that they're sort of being forced back they're being pulled back into Facebook's yeah, ecosystem yeah I've, I've, well it's, it's, it's interesting I think this is one of the topics we're going to cover in a, in a second is that you kind of you know for somebody like me and I suppose it's, you know I'm slightly biased because I work in the industry but you know when you're on WhatsApp you kind of sort of subscribe to the fact that Facebook in some way or another has got your data it's it sort of you know mm. with, without using the platform explicitly you are still using it yeah, so I guess it's sort of a normal shift to me but you know one of the things that we've spoken about before as well is people who don't actually realise that Facebook owns Instagram and there's a large percentage of people mm -hmm. it, I can imagine for people like that it does feel a bit like oh we're being forced into this as, yeah. as Mike Blake Crawford our strategy director always says it's another update that people have neither asked for nor particularly want yeah. that's being forced on them yeah however I feel like we're so used to these updates happening. People will moan about it for a little while, of course, and then of course. and then they'll probably get over it. But it's not so much the users I'd be worried worried about if I was Facebook right now. Mm. It's a lot of data data privacy experts, mm. and obviously government eyes are very uh, closely on them right now, and they're worried about what uh, encryption or some sort of merging will mean because obviously that's a very like collective source of data, mm. and you're mm. just kind of opening it up to everyone. Like it has some real implications. I think I, I, I remember seeing something about this when the announcement was first made that their data privacy uh, officer for the EU was a bit like, right, you know, what's this about? We kind of need to really sort of, because yeah. it seems like this announcement just sort of went out and then it's like, right, what, like you said, what are the implications mm -hmm. of this? And like you said, data is such a massive hot topic at the moment for Facebook. And I mean, we're, we're talking in the week that the government has just released their report into Facebook. So this was a report... Um, this was a report on fake news, but they don't call it fake news. It was misinformation, misinformation and disinformation. Yeah. And they were very, very keen on sort of making the distinction between those. So I uh, read about 30 pages of this 100-page report and then found a short summary somewhere online. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it's scathing. It is scathing. Yeah. The government's attack on Facebook, they, they uh, labour them as digital gangsters, uh, you know, acting like they're completely beyond the law. And the main takeaway from this is that the government is really, really pushing for uh, legislation mm. and for complete regulation over Facebook. Yeah. They think it's gone too far and it's time to really start clawing them back. Yeah, yeah. And we saw this moment coming. It's been coming on for ages. Mm -hmm. The government's really, really, really are sick of what Facebook is doing. They think they've got away with it scot-free for too long. Yeah. And in some ways, I agree with them. Like, it's it's so uncommon that no other media is not regulated. Mm -hmm. And when you mm -hmm. see things coming out, like what happened with Instagram and the self-harm images and 
there should be rules put in place. But I do still think that there's little ways to go education-wise. Mm. And I think mm. for a lot of the time, people are asking too much of Facebook. They are actually trying. They're just trying to make changes without ruining their entire business model. Mm. Mm. I think, obviously, like transparency is another big word, uh, but so is security. Mm. And I think that the two mm. are really contradicting each other right now. I find that Facebook's in a bit of a transparency like paradox. Like mm. We're asking them to show us everything everything but at mm. the same time we're asking them to be more secure of course, we're asking of them course. to shut everything down and lock all the information not share it but we also want access to that information so they're trying to balance both sides this is so so true because one of the points that came up in this report as well and one of the things that facebook has um, said time and time again is that on the one hand people want the ability to see what data facebook has on them and to have that history sort of deletion tool that mm. would completely wipe out your data but we forget that with services like facebook connect you don't you know and this is something i've said time and time again on the pod on the podcast before you don't necessarily have to input your date of birth and whatever and all of these details for facebook to store data on you because yeah. it also stores the data on your actions mm -hmm. to obviously make uh you know guesses about how how you act online and what you do what type of content you might be interested in so you know, when we talk about data, I think for a lot of people at face value, it's, oh, you know, these are my friends. This is where I work. This is so yeah, on like so Yeah, it's address, forth. contact details, exactly. payment information. But every service you log into, everything mm. you watch, if you log into, say, 4OD with yeah. your Facebook, what you watch on there, what your interest might be. Yeah, it's it's such so a much more intimate job. than that, isn't it? It's so much more detailed. And oh, I think completely. It comes back to education that people need to understand what they're asking for before yep. they get so angry with asking for it, you know? And I think this is what it comes back to in a way. It, it's, um, it's almost not a... Facebook, Facebook's response is saying it's not as binary. It's not as sort of, you know, strict as just sort of like, right, okay, let's get some regulation. Mm. And they, I, I was I was quite entertained by their answer, actually, because they said that we'd be open to regulation so long as it's meaningful. And as we both know, they have a habit of uh, attaching <laughs> the word meaningful to many things. But and it's not meaningful at all. Exactly. And yeah. I mean, the short form of that is that you, and, and this was actually mentioned in the report by, I think it was a former Facebook employee or somebody had basically said Facebook's stance on this is that they feel that they are best placed to make decisions about the regulation and, and, and what goes on that platform mm. rather than the government because they are, you know, they see themselves as being, it's a slight superiority complex in a way, but they see yeah. themselves as being ahead of any sort of suggestions for regulation the government might make. However... I do agree with the stance that uh, countries like Germany have taken mm. by uh, fining the platform for content that is completely in breach of, say, you know, political guidelines or anything like that. And yeah. they, they impose hefty, hefty fines if you break those rules. Yeah. And Facebook, you know, let's be honest, we've said it before, it should start acting like a publisher in ways, you know, mm. because you're, you know, as a content publishing house, you're responsible for the content that's on your platform in a way. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. Like I said, I do think that they should be regulated. And I do think that Facebook gets a bit cocky with it. Like mm. they do have that mm. superiority complex. But at the same time, you can't help but think it's because they know their platform the best. Yes. And they, yeah. they know how it works, whereas governments are still struggling to understand that. Um, and it's also very important that if regulation does happen, whoever's in charge of regulating that cannot be seen as politically biased. No. So you, no. I can see why they're wary to just open it up to whoever's in power at that time, yeah. because yeah. it's obviously going to be skewed to one side. Of course, and that's of giving them all the uh, information for their benefit. So I read something that said... Um, 
if the government were in charge of, say, monitoring like illegal activity on the platform, mm, the way mm. that they'd carry out an investigation is not by reprimanding them straight away. Mm, mm. They like to monitor the behavior over mm, time and so catch, much, yeah. you know, who's actually behind it. Yeah. And they'll, they'll let it actually stay on the platform for longer because they're mapping out a, a pattern of behavior. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Facebook does, you know, sees one post, it gets reported, it, it gets taken down. Of course, of and course. that's how they act. So it's sort of like balancing Facebook's interests against the government's. And ultimately, I do think they're trying to put the user's best interest first but mm. I think the the best point of action would be to have some kind of independent body yeah um, who you know would understand the platform um, but also not be biased in any way I think that's what they're going for yeah like a sort of uh, an ASA or a sort of uh, the you know one of the other non-government bodies mm. that would be good and they've also said what what I found interested is that Facebook should partly pay for this service. It should be a levy. It should be uh, the, the the government paper described it as um, creating a new kind of social media company that's not a platform, that's not a publisher. Or if it was funded sort of, by uh, Facebook, though, isn't that a bit dodgy? Well, I I don't think it's so much as face. It's not Facebook introducing their independent body. I think it's the government saying, right, here's an independent body. Facebook, you know, as part of like your tax yeah. or whatever, you need to, you know, partly you're partly responsible for this. We are regulating for you. I guess yeah. I guess they want to get to the uh relationship that the advertisers have with the ASA, for yeah, instance. Yeah, is there so. any other media? Like newspapers have like the Ipso editors code and yes. everything else re relies on uh, Ofcom and things like that. It makes sense. Of course, of course. Now we should move on to more Facebook, but we should move on to uh a really, really interesting interview which happened this week, which was between Mark Zuckerberg. He went to Harvard law school the university that he dropped out of when he started facebook and this was all part of his pledge to uh engage in more public discussions mm. and speak about the benefits and the downfalls of technology and there were some really really interesting points that came out of that so he sat down with a uh, computer science professor um at harvard and one of the really interesting conversations came from that also on data but was the use of blockchain mm. so this has been a massive story this week uh, and there was a story that we posted on Monday I think it was which said that uh, Facebook had opened up 13 new uh, blockchain roles so on face value everybody's thinking right okay crypto Facebook's gonna you know introduce a, a crypto coin or crypto service through WhatsApp and payments and whatnot which is true but what I also found interesting was Mark Zuckerberg's comments about uh, using blockchain as a sort of uh, authentication and uh, decentralizing the platform. Mm. And he spoke, you know, quite a lot about the pros and cons of that, saying that, uh, you know, a pro would obviously be it's it's, de it's decentralized, you know what I mean? People can gain more control. But the con of that, I suppose, is that, you know, when something's decentralized, there's nobody really to hold to account. Mm. At the moment, we can hold Facebook to account for various bits, you know, success permitting. Yeah. Uh, but decentralized, <laughs> it's a completely different story. I know. And it's another thing where I think people should really think about what they're asking for before mm, they ask for mm. it. I think we like the fact that we can hold someone accountable when something goes wrong. Yeah. Like it's not all on us. It's good to have fingerprints point, isn't of it? Of course, yeah. And I think if the control was handed to us, we wouldn't know what on earth to do with it. Exactly. Um, there is actually a, a challenger platform called Minds, and that aims to be decentralized. Mm. Um, and they said it's not censored and it's very like open source. But that also implies that the government doesn't have 
any interference on it whatsoever, mm. which to me kind mm. of makes it sound less regulated mm. Mm. Um, if it's just relying on uh, either the public or like all of its users or if they have um, a certain like board of people mm. who, who monitor it together. Um, but I don't think I can ever picture a world where a decentralized Facebook would work. Yeah, it's a strange one. It's uh, It was one of the many topics that came out of this interview as well. Another, another interesting thing that you touched on was sort of, it, you know, he found himself talking about the news feed and the way it works and how Facebook's sort of ideals are to give people the service that they best think they want mm. in a way. And what was interesting, and, it, and this is very Facebook in a way, but is that he was saying that, you know, what people say they want is not necessarily what they actually want <laughs> yeah. and what they click and the content they engage and with. And he so, would know because he's been tracking our actions for God knows Well, of course, long. of course. And, it's, and it goes back to that point of saying, uh, for instance, things like click, clickbait, it may not be meaningful, but, you know, it, it does generate numbers. And this, you know, again, this goes back to what the government was saying is that, you know, you often find the, the clickbait, the political discourse that is what gets the clicks yeah. and that is what ultimately makes Facebook money. Yeah. So it's such a sort of murky kind of but area he knows in a way. That. I really want to know what Zuckerberg's stance on that is because he can say that, you know, clickbait works and, you know, it might not be a good thing, but that's just true. But it only works because his algorithms are built to react to that kind of provocative, yeah, yeah. highly emotive content. Yeah. Like he could well change that if he wanted to. Granted, it would take a massive uprooting, but he could actually change it. A few tweaks, but that, that that goes back to the point, isn't it? It's the, it's the it's the business model. How do you sort of shift that business model? Yeah. Super, super interesting, this interview. It's on YouTube, so you definitely got to check it out. Um, we'll move on as well. Instagram, big bit of news this week, was the news of their donation sticker. Yeah. So this was something that comes in, uh, your story stickers. Basically, through Instagram, you're going to be able to donate money to a charity of your choice mm -hmm. just by using a sticker. Which is, you know, we talk about social commerce a lot, but this is like super, super ahead of its time, it seems. Almost. Yeah, I think it's really, really positive. It reminds me um, of Facebook's own charity donation tool. You know, you'll see people posting when it's their birthdays mm. and they'll be like, instead of a present, I'm asking you to donate to this charity. Mm. I think that's a little piece of that that they've carried over to Instagram. But yeah, I think it's a really positive um, use of their uh, payments feature. Of course, it will mean that payment information will have to come to the platform. Course, course. But we were prepared for that anyway. You know, people are happy to shop on Instagram we don't have the same negative feelings towards that as we do for Facebook mm, um, and mm. this is just another way for them to remind everyone that Instagram's the happy friendly platform yes yes super true super true and I think as well you know the thing that stood out for me uh, somebody who doesn't really shop through Instagram often but by moving that donations sort of blueprint into stickers you know and being able to take payments through stickers that opens you know millions of sort of opportunities doesn't it in terms yeah. of product catalogs in terms of all sorts of things so yeah. we, we I, I feel like in social media we tend to see these features and they sort of come in the guise of something quite positive and quite nice and they are you know it's a good thing I'm sure a lot of charities <laughs> will make money um, off the back of this but then there's always sort of a development to that. Yeah. And you think, ah, right, okay. You know, yeah. you can look back with hindsight and be like, right, that was smart. See what you did there. Yeah, it's going to go from children in need to design a handbag. Exactly. That, exactly. that would, I think that would be cool though. Like I'm all for shopping features coming to Instagram. I'm very excited to see what they do with it. But imagine you'll see like an Instagram story from an influencer and she's got a whole outfit tagged. And yeah. instead of, you know, going through the process of click to the website, click to purchase, la, 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 it would just be like sticker done. Definitely, definitely. It's funny, as well, it's, it's it's ever so slightly off topic, but I saw a, a stat the other day which said, um, I think 
personal savings are the lowest they've been for several decades. Because <laughs> Is that we just are... based on my bank account alone? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at mine as well, sort of thinking similar <laughs> thoughts. But it's, it's because apparently we are so exposed to uh, spending spending of other people, spending of people we follow mm. and friends that it creates this sort of need to consume and to want. So oh, yeah. it's so interesting how, you know, once you take commerce into social media and, you know, it's the basis of influence marketing and all that. And we could talk about that for days. Yeah, it's only, it's only going to get worse. I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing because obviously like teenagers and like younger people growing up with it now, they're mm. just going to be spending like, the whole time. It's just so easy for them. They tr- although they like... are meant to be seen as a savvy generation, aren't they? Rather oh, yeah. than us sort of... Uh, frivolous millennials as they say yeah no that's true that is very true it'd be interesting to see how that works out um we should move on to youtube uh, this is sort of a more sinister kind of topic so this is quite uh this is in response to uh claims that have been made this week and it's not the first time this happened mm. there's a lot of should we say unsavory content popping up on youtube I'm getting flashbacks to 2017 exactly exactly a lot of unsavory content popping up on youtube you know, very, very sadly regarding children and the exploitation of children. And as a result of this content that's appearing on YouTube, that the platform just seems to have an inability to deal with, um, more and more brands have begun pulling ad spend, rightfully so, you know, uh, due to brand safety concerns. So, you know, I've just got a list of uh, three big ones, Disney, Nestle, Fortnite, and many others to come. Mm. And that completely, for me, like you said, that harks back to memories of 2017, where they called it the adpocalypse, mm. where big brands just said enough is enough and started pulling their ad placements from Google. Um, now, this is a massive topic because that is, you know, it, it depends on what side of the fence you're on. And, and, you know, in some ways, you know, YouTube will obviously lose revenue for this. Um, people, you know, obviously the the, the people who are a bit exploited, you know, obviously it's terrible. Um, and also creators have weighed into the debate about the platform being muddied and tarnished and also saying that they're fearing a loss in ad revenue, Yeah, which seems, you know, disingenuous. I don't believe it is. I think it's, you know, for people who have, you know, made a career on YouTube, they are still sort of falling foul yeah. of... You know. I don't blame them at all. I can understand their frustration. I can understand the brand's frustration. Mm, mm. You think about what happened in 2017. I saw a really positive stat before all this went down um, a couple of months ago saying that uh, in the midst of all of that brand safety um, madness in 2017, uh, concerns for brand safety were at uh, 90%. And by the end of um, 2018, they'd fallen to 60%, mm, um, mm. which is quite a positive thing. But if we're seeing that go back up again, you would really expect YouTube to have learnt from their mistakes mm. the first time mm. round. Um, I do believe that because they were able to resolve it last time and build tr- trust back up, that they'll do that again. But for now, I don't blame the brands for for pulling out and I don't no, blame the influencers no. for being upset. At the end of the day, YouTube has a duty to their creators mm. and advertisers mm. on their platform. And frankly, it's like any other platform, people who are abusing that system should be removed. Mm. Um, and, you know, they say, like, they have not much control over what comes on the trending page um, because it's all, you know, done by machine learning and it comes in very, very quickly that a human couldn't possibly monitor it. Um, but I've seen some contradictory reports saying, actually, like, humans do cast a final eye over that. So I think there's definitely more they could be doing. And they've got a responsibility to vulnerable people, whether that's children or adults as well, completely. Yeah. And that you hear stories like this, and for me, that sort of 
really sparks the argument for the the government sort of regulation that we talk about, yeah. you know, and that sort of responsibility that you will get fined heavily for this sort of content appearing on your platform. Yeah, I wonder why the government doesn't is... press more into Google and YouTube as they are. They're so focused yeah. on Facebook. Google seems a little bit um, more reluctant to comply, to be honest. Remember the yeah. congressional hearings there, the Google rep didn't even show. I mean, I mean they're both quite hard to, to pin down because, you know, the government said exactly something about Mark Zuckerberg. They tried three times to get him to appear uh, in front of a parliamentary select committee um, and he refused point blank all those times. Again, it goes back to that point of, you know, platforms being above the law mm. and not willing to see themselves as publishers, which then gets into debate about uh, Article 13, the EU meme, meme tax and, and all the rest of it. It's interesting to see where, where it is going wrong and why this is happening. Yeah. Um, now, this now on the subject of YouTube as well, this was actually in the same week that YouTube changed its community guidelines. So, you know, an interesting bit for creators now, they are going to have a one sort of violation policy. So if me and you were to start a YouTube channel tomorrow um, and we were to be in breach of the guidelines for whatever reason, um, we would be served a sort of notice, a kind of get out of jail free card before uh, being hit with penalties. And they've also promised to... Um, look at the way they address rulings and to make things more consistent. Because I think before, again, is you know, it's really the creators who prop up YouTube. I think yeah. they were thinking that, you know, this is just not consistent at all. Yeah, definitely. And completely you see confused. so many of them, yeah, exactly, just getting confused. Mm, it's like when mm. we had Matt Wilson on from the ASA. Um, and a lot of these people, as you said, are just starting out in their bedrooms. They're growing mm, a channel. They're probably mm. quite young. They don't really know advertising rules or, course, or, or the different regulations. They haven't read the terms and conditions. No, no. Um, so yeah, How it only seems... Do, you know, I, know, <laughs> I know. Yeah, it only seems fair that they give them a warning before giving them serious penalty because, mm. you know, they don't know that there's certain rules they have to adhere to yet, but they, they will. Because it can be harmful to a channel, can't it? Of course it can, yeah. But I'm really interested to see the sort of impact this has on, you know, the more controversial creators, I suppose, you know, your Logan Pauls yeah. and your KSIs and your people like that. Well, they just have to shape up, won't they? Yeah. It's like the um, CMA regulations now are even going after the big influencers mm. You know, everyone's mm. having to mark their ads properly. You've got hashtag ad, hashtag gifted now. Spawn's gone out the window. Mm. Um, mm. But yeah, it should be the same case on every platform. And I think YouTube is a little ways behind the others mm. on not just keeping themselves in check, but their creators as well. Yeah, yeah. And it is an interesting thing with YouTube, isn't it? More than any other sort of platform, the creators do, you know, for want of a better word, run the roost when it comes to YouTube. Yeah. They are the forefront of it. So we've talked about YouTube, we've talked about Facebook. Now, the big one that we, that I know you've been doing a lot of research into as well, is LinkedIn. Yeah, I know. Who would have guessed? Wow. <laughs> so, link, so LinkedIn is like, you know, in the past few months, it's gone from like a, well, I say past few months, past few years, I should say. It's gone from sort of like a professional CV network to now. It feels to me like how, like, the early days of Facebook, yeah. where like, you know, organic reaches through the roof and, you know, everybody's uh, really, really posting there and engaged there. And yeah, we're getting serious flashback vibes. And I can kind of understand it. Do you remember um, 
like maybe a year or two ago, there was like a wave of posts on LinkedIn where people who'd been on the platform for ages using it for recruitment purposes, getting really annoyed at the way mm. people were using it like a social networking site. And after like comments on every post, but like LinkedIn is not Facebook. This is for recruitment. This is for careers. Yes. Like, like get yes. off, stop posting pictures of your family. <laughs> but, every, <laughs> but like they said, like the user always dictates the turn of like how a platform goes. And yeah. that's just what's happened with LinkedIn. And yeah, like you said, because it's, still quite brand new in this space organic reach is like no like nothing else mm, right now no mm. other platform is handing out I'm organic sure. reach like linkedin is right now and they're giving such a big push towards video mm, um mm. so obviously they've just introduced linkedin live uh, which isn't out for all users yet, just a small group of US users. Mm, mm. But that's what they did with like, article publishing yeah. uh, and their ad tools. So it, it will be rolled out to everyone else eventually. They even uh, were testing a stories style feature. Mm, um, I've heard about this, yeah. Yeah, and if you think their native video was only made available in like late summer 2017, I think, wow, for wow. Um, personal pages and company pages. And obviously that's just completely taken off. That was such a game changer, wasn't it? it you don't was. think about it at the time, it but was. that was just like the kind of you know amazing what what you can do when you add video to a yeah, platform, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, like they they saw like the way the world was going and they mm. were a little bit behind everyone else, but that's actually become a very good thing for them and for us. Mm. They're actually getting a lot of ad revenue at the minute from um, new video ads, yeah, uh, yeah, and what and what video is giving them. So. You can see that that's why um, they've brought live into the mix. Obviously, it did wonders for Facebook and mm, hopefully it'll do mm. the same for them. It is acting like a social media platform, isn't yeah. it? I wonder if it is, if, you know, if we sort of cast it later down the line, it's still got that sort of businessy edge to it. But if it's yeah, going to be seen as like It's still quite B2B. Although I have, I have seen some B2C brands advertising on it. On LinkedIn? No. Yeah. So I haven't seen as much organic content from B2C brands. But yeah, sponsored parties I have. And right. it's been like more high-end luxury brands. I think I saw an ad from Hugo Boss right, um, right. on LinkedIn. And that that sort of to threw get me. Sort of I was like, oh, well, look, stuff. but... You know, there's obviously a perk there for them. Mm. And Facebook is so saturated. Maybe that's why they're moving over. It's really, really interesting as well. They've also got new um, features on groups. Ah, um, yes, yes. Yeah, so they have brought back notifications and cover photos are back. Mm. Two very, very simple minor mm. updates, but something mm. they were severely in need of. So I think one of the reasons LinkedIn hasn't been as popular as other platforms is because its user experience is quite shit. Yes, it's, yes. It's not the best. It's clunky. Um, it's it's uh, it lags behind, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And like we, uh, we've had a go at groups and you'll find that it was just very hard to... You didn't know when any... Um, any time anybody was posting yeah, did you? exactly something as bizarre. simple as a push notification we had no idea what was going on right. in the group you can't brand it if there's no cover photos it's very simple changes yeah. um but the fact that they've put these new resources into it shows maybe they're going to put some uh, more effort into it and hopefully it'll become a bit more fruitful so if you do run a LinkedIn group, it's not a case of as it was before where you're like, oh, I'll reply to this post. Oh, it's two weeks old because <laughs> I didn't yeah. see it. I got an they email about e it. Yeah, they had emails, but who <laughs> checks those really? It's strange. Yeah, it's, it's funny because I, I got to remind myself that LinkedIn is owned by Microsoft. Yeah. And this is sort of like another big tech company's space in the social sphere. Like they're really, really having a go at it. And it's like... You know, like, like, like we were saying, that social media element, I found myself catching up with, like, an old friend from college the other day mm. over, like, LinkedIn. And it's yeah. so like, oh, I see you working at this place now. And it turned into, like, 
Facebook Messenger type yeah, conversation yeah, is bizarre. I've, I've had similar occurrences. And, and you do check it. You know, it's become ingrained in, uh, definitely for my behaviour, it's become ingrained in me that I'll, I'll check it and I'll see mm. who's about and I'll see who's, you know. I really like it. I think I think obviously because, you know, it's the year of the personal brand, it's it's adding value yes. to people now, yes. um, which is something that the other platforms may have lost mm. or they're like really struggling to keep up. And LinkedIn is just organically giving it to people because completely. you know everyone's after that personal brand everyone's active in their careers and I completely agree with the personal brand point it's like you know you, you post your best self to Instagram you post your family self on Facebook but your you know your brand as a professional yeah. person you yeah. know and as we're seeing with a lot of sort of high achieving Gen Z and millennials is it's LinkedIn mm. and they've complete they've they've hit that sweet spot at yeah. the right time, haven't yeah. they? It's definitely it's still your best self, but it's for a good purpose. Completely, completely. It's productive. And poor Snapchat's nowhere to be seen at the moment for us, is it? That's not. No, very true. <laughs> and then Twitter. Let's talk about so Twitter is obviously I mean, that is completely like that is your domain, Twitter. I, I know, love it. as many people know. Um and interesting, so this is a conversation that's been happening again for quite a few weeks or a few months now, the edit feature. And the edit feature that Jack Dorsey, the CEO, keeps sort of teasing. And people, we just want to be able to edit our tweets. Yeah, no, people day. want it. We've all experienced that. You put out a tweet, you think it's great, you look at it two minutes later and there's a glaring typo. Exactly. Horrible feeling. And then isn't you have to delete it. it it's horrible. Isn't it funny that it's like, for, you know, in one way, Twitter probably there being like, people want the edit feature because they want to like change what they said five years ago. For us, it's like, mm, no, I don't like the grammar on that tweet. Yeah. No, the glaring type of that. <laughs> oh, the minority no. though. I think <laughs> they've, they've learned to be cynical about the people who use their platform and rightly yeah. so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, when everyone was calling for an edit, uh, an edit button, I had the same thought. You know, what if you retweet something or something's mass retweeted mm. and then the owner of that tweet edit it to say something completely different yeah. and all of a sudden yeah. you've got like an opinion that's not your own on your page it could be quite dangerous but the way that Jack Dorsey said if it were going to happen he would make it so there's like a 30 second window for mm. you to be like oh and just edit just it need to change yeah. That. Yeah. Um, yeah. but now he's brought out this uh, clarification mm. tool mm. Um, and I think if this one goes through it will actually kill the original edit like this will be mm. their version of it mm. um so you remember like last year um people were going through a phase of search and shaming yeah. uh yeah. celebrities and whatnot if you're finding tweets that they've done from like six seven years ago mm. where obviously mm. they were a lot younger not as wiser saying yeah. questionable things and then holding them to account for it now we had people get kicked off i'm a celeb like stormzy yeah. had to come yeah. and give a public apology um so i think they want to give people the chance to find those old tweets or maybe find an old opinion or even a new opinion that's circling that current debate mm, mm. Um, that's maybe been like, taken out of context mm. or someone's misunderstood and just be like, edit, no, this is what I actually meant. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is a slightly healthier use of the feature, I think. Um, and the interesting thing about this clarification feature as well, so it's sort of like a, 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 a footnote, a citation, if you call it. Yeah. Um, and that appears everywhere where that tweet it becomes visible, for yeah, instance. Yeah, so people were like worried, oh, will it only retweet the clarification part now or yeah. will it do the whole tweet? And um, the way that we've seen early previews of it, uh, it's like how uh, quoted tweets are yeah. at the minute yeah. where you've got the original uh, tweet and your comment sits on top and they're just retweeted as like a chunk. I think it's smart. I think it's a good idea. I, I, I think you can't just go editing tweets. I mean, if you could, Donald Trump would have a field day, couldn't they? But I think <laughs> if you sort of, you know... Uh, said in a sort of a, a tweet or 
I hate cats. I'm not a cat person, you know, and then you got a lot of abuse from cat people. You could put that clarification in there and say, <laughs> yeah, I actually, I, I, meant I hate I tabby cats. I, I hate all cats. One of the very example. It's probably the most PC example I could think of in that short space of time. But um, no, this clarification makes sense and I could see it working. Mm. And I like that about Twitter at the moment. I like that it's becoming quite, uh, it, used to, it used to be seen as the platform that would sort of, um, dream up a feature in like a boardroom and then just push it out for mm. no reason and everybody would be confused by it and be like, what was that? Yeah. But now they're really, especially with the launch of this public beta. Yeah, they're really listening. Tool, and they're listening to audiences and they're, you know, they're generally trying to improve public conversation, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Um, so we've seen an early preview of the threaded replies which are mm. being tested and one Twitter employee, you know, full on posted screenshots and said, this is what we're testing. What do you guys think? Mm. Um, mm. Just on our own personal account. So that speaks wonders for the, you know, inclusivity of the whole thing. Yes. Anyway, yes. and in the replies, there were some people saying oh you know like, I really like this others were saying I'm not sure I want people to know when I'm online yeah. she was replying saying we'll take this into account great yeah yeah you don't you, see Zuckerberg doing that do you no exactly exactly and and the other thing as well with Twitter is that they've introduced which is today which I've I can't work out if it's, you know, people who, read, who who already had the beta have this at the moment, but it's that threaded replies, mm. have you heard of this? So it's mm. like colour-coded replies. So it's always the case, Every, every anybody who's ever sent a tweet will know that by the time you get 10 replies to a tweet, it just looks lost in translation. Yeah. And you don't know who was the original tweet and yeah. whatnot. Whereas this sort of... Uh, categorizes your tweets a bit like how you would have a conversation in WhatsApp or Messenger. Yeah, definitely. Kind of, so again, kind of. it's such a simple change, but it's just making everything that much um, easier for the user mm. and making the experience that much smoother, I think makes all the difference. And the thing I found interested about this is that they've made the decision to get rid of the uh, retweet button and the like button as well on the actual replies. So at first I was thinking, is that just, you know, to save space? But then I'm thinking... Is that a sort of, uh, you know, taking away those vanity metrics so it's not virality for virality's sake? You know maybe. what I mean? Or... I, I, yeah, I can see there's probably a few, maybe like a three-pronged reason for that. Um, whereas, yeah, they, they do want to place less focus on vanity metrics. And people, I think, would be a bit upset if they just took it away altogether from yeah. main tweets because yeah. we're, we're quite fond of the vanity exactly, metrics, yeah. aren't we, for our own sake. Um, but I can see how it, it would play out in replies. So instead of giving someone the option to like someone else's reply, say if there's uh, a debate or an argument even going on, mm. you don't want one person to feel completely backed up compared to the other one. Sure, You know, sure. if like, likes are weighing up on you, it, it just like creates opportunity for nastiness, which I think they're just trying to eradicate. And there's nothing worse than when you tell a joke um, in reply to somebody and you've seen somebody 10 comments up has already replied to the same joke and they get 300 retweets and you get two. <laughs> yeah, or when, you, or when you post a tweet and someone's reply, which is taking the mick out of you, gets more likes than your exactly. actual tweet. Oh, exactly. This is, these are See, the first world problems in which we live by. Yeah, and Jack That's Dorsey's it. just like, I got you. He's looking out. Um, <laughs> let's talk about, so a final point uh, that we haven't covered, and this is a massive one for us, 916. Yes. So this is the launch of, this is by Social Chain. This, this this week we launched our first ever, well, the industry, what we're calling the industry's first uh, mobile first dedicated studio for 916 vertical content. Yeah, yeah. If you don't know what 916 content is, look on your phone, go on Instagram stories. It's any sort of vertical video, it's isn't it? size of your phone, yeah. yeah. Ratio opposite of 16.9. Hey. Um, yeah, no, it was a really, really exciting move and we're really excited about it. Um, 
basically we've been responding to uh, obviously the rise of Instagram stories, mm. the rise of vertical video across all platforms. And we got really, really sick of seeing everyone uh, still put landscape content mm. into a vertical frame. So you'll have seen it like IGTV where you literally can't put landscape content into no. the format. They'll rotate their content either before putting it in mm. and then just mm. prompt users to flip their their phone. Mm. Um or they'll or they'll put it in and say Instagram stories and you'll see that sort of letterbox with the empty space on top and empty mm. space below, forcing you to sort of squint and you're trying to like tap mm. and zoom. And mm. it just makes it makes the experience intentionally jarring. Mm. Um and we don't know if it's people who are a bit stuck in their ways and still very fond of landscape content. Mm. There's a lot of, um, you know, videographers have been taught that landscape content is the best. Of course, of um, course. Yeah. But yeah, like we said, it's a mobile first first world uh, and we're just catering to that change. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think uh, one of the myths we've, we've busted over, over the months with this as well is the amount that you can actually show in 916. I think yeah. people automatically think that once you turn a video vertical, you instantly get rid of, you know, several sections of the video, several mm -hmm. several parts not of what you can see in the screen. And it's it's not true. You can, you know, we found by going, uh, you know, vertical and and, sh and showing more that way, you can see more, can't you? Yeah, there's, it depends, what, it depends what your point of focus is. It's like, so it works amazingly for like uh, people-focused stories because mm -hmm. obviously it's the shape of, mm -hmm. of, of us. Yeah. Um, and it works really well for products as well yeah. um, because you have your one point of focus and it just makes sure there's no other distractions going on. You can really frame it. Um, and keep the eyes, you know, where the where the attention is meant to be. Mm, There's been some really mm. interesting stats around it as well. Um, so conversion rates are actually nine times higher mm, uh, with vertical mm. video compared to horizontal video on mobile. Um, and it's because that attention is just so much more focused. Yeah. Um, and yeah. obviously on platforms like Insta Stories, people are choosing what they see. It's not just fed to them. And it's not it's become normal, hasn't it, with, with with Instagram Stories that we sort of I think when when a product on social media becomes so popular you expect that kind of experience across social yeah. in a way, don't you? Look at, I mean, it'd be funny to see Instagram over the years, but do you remember when you used to, you know, Instagram videos, they were like square, right? Tiny square in the middle of your screen. And mm. now, you know, you've got the opportunity to push yeah. that content out more It takes more, more retail space. Yeah, of course. Exactly. So people aren't getting all what's to the side there. It is, and it's value to the advertisers as well. Like you said, you, you know, you've got more retail space. Yeah, it's, that's that's it's more of a immersive. prominent on the platform. Yeah. And, you know, you're covering the whole screen without, you know, other, other products getting in the way and stuff. Yeah. And Buffer actually did some research on this. They found, you know, in many cases, they spent a lot of money on this research that vertical outperforms square video on social media yeah. and I think it was twice as many people will watch halfway for a video than they would with square and Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 it's, uh, it's brilliant. So really, really exciting. That definitely we've, we've the future this. of video marketing, I think. But yeah, we'll um we'll leave a website link in the description of this yes. episode so people can check out nine sixteen and see what it's all about. Definitely, and remember to check out on your mobile. Go on desktop to see what happens because it's a nice <laughs> little sort of Easter egg there, isn't it? Yeah. But but definitely check it out on your mobile. Um, and just, you know, next time you're on your phone, I think just, you know, keep this in mind. Have a look at all the great vertical content that, that gets made. Yeah. Hopefully most of it by us. <laughs> <laughs> but, but have a look around and, and, you know, really open your eyes to vertical and, yeah. and see this as the, for what is as the future of content. Super. Yeah. Oh, it was great to catch up again, Eve. Yeah. Fabulous. I'm sure we'll do it again. Yes, definitely. Hope so. <laughs> weather permitting. <laughs> 
This has been the Social Minds Podcast with Theo, Eve and music by Pierre Flass.